turns the corner at the 21st down, breaks a tackle at the 25, breaks another at the 30, and he's loose! Gets the carry, and he's loose inside the 50-40 to the 30-20-10, touchdown! Hello, hello, let's go! It's your man, Flip Mozzie, and thank you for spending 30 minutes with us today. Here we are heading into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Our 11-6 Minnesota Vikings go to Santa Clara, Levi Stadium to take on the 13-3 San Francisco 49ers. Winner takes all. We're really excited about this game. We were coming off a great overtime victory against the New Orleans Saints. And here to talk about all of that with me is the man, the myth, the legend, Saxy Prince. How you doing, Prince? I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, you know, coming off a victory that was a surprise, really for, I, I think for a lot of us, was a surprise. Um, but it was a pleasant surprise. So I'm feeling good. We have another game to watch this weekend, which is great, you know. And, uh, you know, let's let's go get it, as the Vikings motto is for this season. Yes, sir. And, you know, coming off a great win like we did last Sunday in New Orleans, we all have some some takes, some memories, some stories that we want to share from that game. But, hey, we got another one to prepare for. So I just want to start by hitting on the hot topics from the Saints game, what people are still talking about today. And number one on that list is... Stefan Diggs, his antics on the sideline. There's some new audio that came out. Nick Olson posted it on Twitter, showing that Stefan was actually encouraging Kirk to, to spread the ball around. Prince, can you tell us exactly what went down and what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the one that uh, Nick Olson, um, obviously friend of the pod, a contributor, um, it basically just showed Stefan Diggs saying like, hey, yo, you don't need to feed me the ball, play your game. I'm here to support you, all that. You know, if you if you can't get it to me, essentially I'll do whatever I can to to do it. Basically showing Stefan Diggs as a leader, which is, I actually had a conversation with a, a, a friend of mine, you know, the, earlier this week. And, you know, he kind of explained that he, he was really tired of all this, the Diggs drama and the diva behavior. And he's just like, you know, he, he doesn't like when he's like on the sidelines throwing his helmet down and and looking this and looking that and, and I basically said this you know first and foremost humble people don't eat nearly as much right and we have to understand that for the best people in the world at anything really any skill set you'll notice that consistently these people have egos these people consistently um, there's a way in which their brain works which can, uh, for the people who maybe aren't experts in those fields or for people who are just the casual observers, it'd be like, well, what's going on with them? In my opinion, I care about watching the dude who truly cares about his craft, watching a guy cry, watching a, a person really just get so upset because they know and hold themselves to such a high standard that when they don't achieve that, they're upset. Honestly, first and foremost, I'll say this. The kind of attitude that Stefan Diggs brings is the attitude that I want everyone on that field to bring. I want them to bring that energy that like, I care so much about winning this game. If, we, if I don't, I'll say it this way. 
Every time Stefan Diggs, especially this year, has gone on a tirade, the Vikings have turned it around. Earlier in the season, it was him wanting to get traded. You've probably seen it a couple other times um, in the previous years, him getting upset or whatever the case is. This year, after this playoff game, after, after like honestly, the first half wasn't really that great, but they turned on a little bit more so on that, that second half where you were like, okay, the Vikings are like, they're doing something here. And it's like, he has cemented himself, in my opinion, because this was Everson Griffin before, I think he cemented himself as more the emotional leader where guys want to get fired up and Stefan Diggs is going to be that guy time and time again who is going to incite um, that level of you know, elite play that we want. And I, I personally care more so about that than anything else. Honestly, you know, I, me and Vikings fans, were in the same boat. We want our team to win. But truthfully, I, I, I just sometimes feel in this, this state of Minnesota where it is, you know, we want guys to be humble. We want them to be team players. We want them to be, you know, someone that we can just be so proud of and, and all that other stuff. And, and, like, that's the exact reason why we don't win as often as we should. We need more guys like Stefan Diggs. We mean, need more people with, with swag, with attitude, with cockiness, with arrogance, with all that stuff because they care that much about being the best because they know that they're the best. And then they also don't want – they don't want to sit at home and watch some other team in the playoffs. They want to win. And if that means I have to watch a, a pretend to care about some tirade on the sidelines that doesn't hurt the team in any kind of way, sure. If you want to get upset at him because he's drawing penalties, because he's throwing his helmet on the on the field, or you know he's getting into fights with other players or coaches or stuff, that's fine. That's the kind of stuff that again it hurts the team. But I'm not going to be upset with the fact that oh well I have to see him on the sideline getting upset at Kirk Cousins or you know throwing his helmet or getting punching something that doesn't that has nothing to do at all with what is happening on that field. So ultimately speaking, it's just. I guess I'm just more fed up with it because I think you know we hurt we hold certain players to a standard that we don't hold other players to because I've seen Adam Thielen throw his his helmet down I've seen him get into fights with coaches I've seen him go at it with refs and no one seems to care when he does it and ultimately speaking if that's what he needs to do in order to get fired up then so be it as long as it doesn't hurt the team the minute it hurts the team then I have a problem with it but it's not hurting the team go do what you're gonna do. But it's not going to bother me until it hurts the team, which ultimately speaking prevents us from winning the game. I I love that passion. It's the same passion we see on Sundays from more and more Vikings uh, during the games. I do want to take a step back and just kind of kind of build the the argument of where Vikings fans were during that moment, uh, starting with just. Stefan Diggs this season. The first time he showed emotion this year was week two in Green Bay. The Vikings down 21 to 10 and Diggs, you know, frustrated all day, finally scores a touchdown to make it a one score game, takes his helmet off at the at the end of the play, gets a 15 yard penalty, and then the ensuing Dan Bailey attempt is blocked. So he he cost us a point there. It was a bad show of emotion that did hurt the team. And I think that kind of stuck in fans' brains because it was the first time they saw Diggs act out this year. Uh, now you you roll that forward to the controversy, the 
the trade rumors, the trade non-rumors, really, that really now we see it as it inspired the team. And the initial reaction is always different in these situations than what we find out one week later, two weeks later, about how the team responds to that. You think about the Denver Broncos games, the the Vikings go down, the offense gets shut out, and they need to score four scores to win that game. And the entire time, Stephon Diggs is showing that passion, showing that emotion to rally the team. Now, going into this game, there was another key moment that we need to think about, and it actually happened on defense, where Xavier Rhodes got beat on the trick play, Taysom Hill throwing to Deontay Harris, a miscommunication in the backfield. So the first thing we saw on the Viking sideline during the Viking Saints game was Rhodes and Harrison Smith acting out, trying to get their thing together. And then the next thing we know, Stephon Diggs is also making noise on the sidelines, even though the Vikings are up 13 to 10. So do you think that the instant reaction from fans was warranted given that background. And now, of course, we can say, you know, to quote Diggs in this clip, talking to Kirk Cousins, very animated, it looks like he's upset. But really, what is he saying? He's saying, don't feel like you got to force shit to me. All right, play your game. That's what he's saying to Kirk Cousins. He's being selfless. Is there a way to assume that he's always going to be that selfless? Or is it going to be a helmet toss and a penalty one week? a positive message the next, a rally? Is it up and down, or can we always expect a positive passion from Stefan Diggs? Um, to that point, yeah, I, I, I can understand. You know, the thing about initial reactions when, as it relates to fans is, you know, uh, it, it's the same as any initial uh, reaction, right? Oftentimes, initial reactions are either wrong or either incomplete, right? So it's not, it's not the case of, I get, I get it when it's happening in the moment or whatever, because you don't know what's going on. Um, but I actually, I'm more irritated with the perceptions of things after the fact, right? Uh, the, the insinuation that the, you know, teammates are, are annoyed with Stefan Diggs because of the outbursts, the insinuation that he's, uh, he's this, he's that, after the fact. You know, if, honestly, I get how fans can you know, be like, okay, well, I see him yelling at the quarterback. I see him getting upset at him. So, yes, I can understand how that, that elicits a, a certain response of like, yo, what's going on? Why is he upset? But when I see that, me personally, uh, when I see that, I know what it feels like to be truly passionate about something. And I, I would probably, I wouldn't necessarily respond in that way, but I can understand why someone who does care about what they're doing would. So I, I guess for me, it's just like taking a step back from, oh, well, that's not how I would do it, or that's not how I think this person should do it. Because I also don't think that it is, better yet, I think it's highly problematic when we put players into, this is how I think they should behave. Um, and I and I don't like that because it's another human being. That's per, that's a person that needs to deal with things in the way that they need to deal with things, which I am for. Again, unless it's again, it is costing us penalties. It is constantly getting us in trouble. You know, yeah, that 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 issue with Stefan Diggs that cost the penalty or whatever the case is. Yeah, I can understand why fans reacted in that way. But as as a, a as a point of reference, that is more of a rarity for Stefan Diggs than it is anything else. You think about the last four or five years he's been part of this team, 
is he has he been constantly um costing us penalties has he put us in a position where um you know think actions that he's taken has has directly resulted in in us losing no i would say more often than not no he's shown a tremendous amount of leadership a, a, as well as being our best player and uh, I, I i essentially want to reiterate the point is give give players the benefit of doubt more often than not because they really truly care about this game and and i think about it this way fans say that they care about this game they're really passionate their emotions are up and down imagine being on that field imagine literally putting your body through the worst uh, of worst uh, um, training and things to make sure that you can go out and make the same fans who are rooting for you happy each and every week they get even more upset than we ever do when an interception is thrown when i when a fumble is 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 costed or you know some stupid penalty or some end of the game uh kerfuffle that might happen the players care more than we do and i i, I guess i don't want fans to to miss that point players care more than us that's a great point prince we're gonna need stefan diggs in his best form emotion or not whatever it takes in this next game against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we got another receiver who's had an interesting week. We got Adam Thielen with a with a little stitch situation. What do you think about what's going on with Thielen? Uh, apparently, he got crossed up in practice. He got a cleat just above the ankle and had to get stitches for it. Is that something that's going to affect him on Saturday? Or do you think he just plays through that pain? No problem. Yeah, I think that that's um, it's it's both a, a worry of concern and also um, I could definitely see Stefan Diggs or not Stefan Diggs, but Adam Thielen trying to play through it. I don't know if that's the best thing because obviously with uh, you know lacerations, you have to you know I don't know how deep the the cut was, but he needed stitches. Ultimately speaking, he can't be on. I, I wouldn't imagine he can be on the field just bleeding. Um, so you know, I, I would imagine he tried to play through it. Probably not as bad as, you know, the hamstring stuff that he's been dealing with. Um, but it, it could limit you mobility in some kind of way. Just because, again, anytime you have to pay, play through pain, uh, it doesn't let you be the, the player that you are when you're obviously fully healthy, you know, no issues and whatnot. So it, it is really unusual that, uh, especially the severity of it with, with the stitches. But... I definitely see, like, you know, Adam Thielen is a guy who, you know, he is, he is passionate about the game. So, you know, he's going to try to suit up. Um, if he gets, if he's clear to play, he's, he's going to be on that field to play. Do you think it's more valuable to have a Thielen at, let's say, 70%? Or how do you feel about BC Johnson, Laquan Treadwell in a game of this magnitude? Well, here's the issue, uh, Flip. It, you know, when we think about, uh, when we think about the matchups that uh, that the Vikings are going to have to face, obviously they're facing Richard Sherman, which is probably going to be on Stefan Diggs if he stays on that side. But I would imagine that the Vikings put Steph, uh, Stefan Diggs on the opposite side of Richard Sherman because he tends to stay on one side. But then you still have to deal with Quadron Williams, who is really, really good. So to not have a full uh, 100% uh, Adam Thielen is going to be problematic because he, he is going to be on Quadron Williams. And Adam Thielen on on his best, like that's going to be a really good matchup. That's a matchup that Thielen's going to get some of his, Juan's going to get some of uh, his, and you know it could be one of the more deciding factors of how the game goes. So uh, 
it's hard for me because, it, you know, at the end of the day, I want to see Thielen. I think Thielen at 70% is still better than Laquan Treadwell or BC Johnson. But at the same time, if he if he's less than 70%, let's say he's at 60 or 50%, then you have to ask yourself, is are we going to get the kind of production that we need to get? We have to have a really, really good game against the 49ers because they can put up points. They do have the playmakers on both sides of the ball to to make this a game. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. I lean towards playing him because we need all the help that we can get. Uh, but, you know, uh, we'll see Sunday. Yeah, and there it is. You kind of set it up. You let us right into the game on Saturday, the 49ers. Uh, I've been looking at some per-drive statistics from Football Outsiders. I find that's a good way to just understand how efficiently these offenses and defenses are operating. And because we're talking about the receiver matchups, we can talk about the 49ers defense. Overall, the numbers really say they're an elite defense throughout. They are fourth in points allowed per drive, second in yards allowed per drive, third in the amount of three and outs they force, about one out of every four drives against the 49ers defense ends in a three and out. And they're a top 10 unit in causing turnovers per drive. So they do everything well. They don't show an overall weakness. Again, these are stats for the entire regular season. But you look a little deeper into those numbers and you look up to just how they've allowed points lately. This is actually a really good insight on San Francisco. Their defense, weeks one through nine, allowed 13 points per game. Weeks 10 through 17, they allowed 26 points per game, 322 yards of total yards per game allowed, 96 passer rating, and their sacks have dropped from four per game to two per game during the second half of the year. One, one key item about the 49ers defense is in that secondary, Richard Sherman is playing at an elite level, and he hasn't just been putting up Pro Bowl, All-Pro type numbers. He's also been a mentor to those younger 49ers cornerbacks, uh, Quan Williams and Akella Witherspoon. But what's interesting is in the second half of the year, Sherman has stayed great, and Witherspoon and Williams, they've struggled lately. And it's, it's shown in some of these games, Julio Jones goes for 130 yards, two touchdowns against the 49ers defense. Robert Woods goes for 91 yards, and, and Tyler Higby on the Ram also goes for 91 yards. A lot of catches allowed. The, the 49ers just aren't as good on the back end as they used to be in these recent weeks. Michael Thomas, of course, the best receiver in football, he put up 130 yards against the 49ers defense. So when we talk about a passionate Stephon Diggs, uh, 70% Adam Thielen, we have to have both of those guys to put up Julio Jones, Robert Woods type numbers if we're going to succeed about the 49ers defense. How do you feel about that game plan? Well, I, I think you uh, illustrated a good point, uh, Flip. And this is, this is what I try to, I think what, you know, what analysis I, I think strives to do. And I think where sometimes people miss the, the buck. It's not just about naming a bunch of stats, right? You know, if you just name 49er stats on paper, yeah, they look like the, one of the best teams in the NFC and, and also in the league. You know, they continually put up points and they continue to stop people on on, on defense. 
but but it is interesting to see that there has been a little bit of a regression. Obviously, all these stats usually just work off of averages, right? But averages are 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 good, and you can synthesize them into your argument. But again, you always have to give them context, and the context is as of late. Yes, they have not played like the same team that that kind of propelled them into you know being one of the first, uh, being one of the last undefeated teams in the league until you know they started to drop a couple of games. Offense is still playing really well. Defense is still playing really well. Uh, offense is has to, having to work a little bit harder because of the regression of the defense. So if there if there's areas like you said that we can take advantage of, we can take advantage of Juan, um, you know their regression. Uh, but you know, but it does remain to be seen. Is is Adam Thielen going to be even close to being you know at at you know seventy eighty percent or whatever so that we can actually take advantage of some of those regressions? Are the Vikings going to find more unique ways to exploit? Their offense. Last week, uh, Mike Zimmer did something a little bit more unique that I think a lot of us has been begging him to do is, you know, return to form, return to where Everson Griffin started. I don't know if you remember when he first started in the league, it was Jared Allen on the side and, and, and on third downs, Everson Griffin was kicking inside. And what he did is he played uh, Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin on the inside, gave him a little bit of break on the uh, outside. And obviously you start to collapse that yields eight gaps and that interior pass risk uh, becomes more prevalent. So as far as how they're going to attack Jimmy G, I don't know for sure, but you can start doing things that you may have not shown throughout the season like that or um, attacking them in more unique ways. They have a great uh, offensive line. Their running back and names escaping me right now. I think they have the weapons, obviously, to, to perform at a high level. And, you know, ultimately speaking, I do think this is going to be one of those games where Vikings are going to need to literally play mistake-free football on both sides of the ball. Um, to to really have a shot at at winning here, yeah, and you know the 49ers have a stable back in their backfield. They've got Raheem Mostert, they got Matt Breida, they got Tevin Coleman. It's a bunch of fresh legs coming out of their backfield. I actually feel good about the ability to to compete with the 49ers running game. Uh, if you look at just how the Vikings defense has played as of late. They've always been a great tackling unit. The only person who apparently they can't tackle is Taysom Hill. And we don't have to deal with that guy anymore. Thank goodness. So hopefully they'll be able to clause clog those holes, have good gap discipline and make tackles on these 49ers running backs. But the backs are also a huge part of the passing game. And that's where you start to worry about the speed that Coleman has, about the versatility with Brita and Mostert, where you never really know what Kyle Shanahan's going to call. Schematically, the offense works a lot similar to ours. And if any Vikings fan has watched all the games this year, that means you know how to stop uh, this scheme. You stop it with good interior pressure, which speaks just like you said, let's continue to move Everson Griffin inside. Let's trust Steven Weatherly and a Fadio Denigbo. Let's get them more snaps and move the two studs around wherever we like. Hopefully we can get that interior pressure to stop the run game, get pressure in the face of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and then that also means that San Francisco likes to pass out of heavy sets. They're explosive. With misdirection, they go for the big play when you think they're trying to run the ball off a of play action. So those miscommunications we've been seeing in the secondary, that could burn us. That could be a mistake that lets us down in 
a competition, a contest where they have to play mistake free. But we should, I, I see more opportunities to succeed against the 49ers offense than I do against their elite defense. How are you feeling about the game? Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. I think that you can take advantage of, at times, Jimmy G isn't perfect, so I think Mike Zimmer can dial up a little bit. Looks more exotic, looks obviously fronts that, you know, he's not used to seeing. Um, I like the fact that, you know, we can can obviously still do our, you know, the patented uh, double-A gap blitz, but again, you are getting to see more unique uh, packages and stuff. Uh, they have been kicking Harrison Smith out in, into the middle of the field a little bit more so um, after mugging you know, mugging at the uh, at the line, um, you are seeing some. You are seeing what they're a- actually able to do with uh, Ant Harris. I mean, he he's been so versatile over this year, and I think it's been underrated how well he's played. Um, the ability that they've shown to move Eric Kendricks, Kendricks around because he's playing at such a high level, they, they have things that they can do, and I think. I think it's going to be more important to find ways for them to get to Jimmy G and cause pressure just because the more time he has, I mean, this is obviously the case for any quarterback, but we, because we're hurting so bad in our secondary, I think um, the more that they have to sit there and cover, I think you're going to see some of those longer plays start to happen. And I, I just don't think that Banky's going to have a really, really long day if that's if that's what they're relying on. So, yeah, I, I feel more confident about this defense being able to slow down 49ers offense than I do about our offense being super high powered against this, this really great defense. Yeah, we're playing an offensive genius. Routinely, typically, San Francisco likes to, like I said, pass out of heavy sets, attack the middle of the field in bigger, heavier formations. That's actually a strength of the Vikings defense. If you want to put Eric Wilson on the field instead of one of our injured cornerbacks, you know, I'm all for that. And so that's when you really get worried. You start asking, what is Kyle Shanahan going to do? Because if we're seeing it, he's seeing it. He's not probably not going to pass into those heavy sets. So I actually anticipate one counter San Francisco could try to do on the Vikings defense on Mike Zimmer is actually go wide and put Kendrick Bourne on the field, put Debo Sanyo on the field. Maybe we'll see a, maybe we'll see a Dante Pettis sighting, but it'll be really interesting to see how Mike Zimmer adjusts if the 49ers try to go four wide because we haven't seen them do that often. Yeah, I, I, again, it, it ultimately speaking, you're having a defensive-minded guy against an offensive-minded guy and who wins that matchup because ultimately speaking, I think, um, the other side of the ball, you know, I, I just don't trust the Vikings offense against this defense just because they have so many playmakers. And again, if it's just going to be Stefan Diggs and Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, obviously you can find ways to get to Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. Maybe all BC Johnson can catch a couple of uh, passes that, you know, put us in a better position. I, I think all BC Johnson has been has kind of surprised me a little bit more so on third down. I, I know he's coming into a lot of the third down packages and stuff. So I, ultimately speaking, I think this is going to be a good, I think this is going to be another really good game. Um, I think it's going to be a surprisingly good game. So it's, I, I won't be surprised if it's not a, it, I don't think it's going to be a low scoring game either. So it's, it, it's going to be not like last week where where it felt like a nail biter for a good majority of it and then we were able to get that victory at the very end but you know i i i look forward to watching this game and i and i think that the vikings can 
make some noise even if I'm not necessarily picking them for for you know to win this game. It's going to be a fun one. You don't have to worry, Prince. We don't do picks on the Flip Podcast. We talked Stefan Diggs. We talked Adam Thielen. We talked about the matchups both on offense and defense. I'm going to close this thing out, but do you have any last things that you'd like to share before the big game on Saturday? Yeah, stop George Kittle at all costs, or it will bite us in the butt. Stop George Kittle. All right, that's the takeaway, y'all. I touched on Wednesday about just how the 49ers, great team, a true number one seed, 13-3, and but they haven't had playoff experience. You have Richard Sherman, who's been there before. This is Kyle Shanahan's first playoff game as a head coach. This is first playoff game for several 49ers players, including George Kittle, including Keem Moster, including Akella Weatherspoon, Quan Williams. So we have to see, we have to test them and see if they hold up. There is a one more stat here, and it's about playing with the lead. The top five teams in the NFL in the regular season who had the lead the most were Baltimore, New England, San Francisco, Kansas City. So they deserve to be there, the San Francisco 49ers do. But two of those teams, the Saints and the Patriots, two of the teams who are used to playing with the lead, they're already home. They're already gone from the playoffs. And the hope here is these two teams haven't been battle-tested. They won games comfortably. They're here with comfort, coming off their bye week, well-rested, but they're not used to tight games. Our Vikings, on the other hand, we don't have the record to show for it, but there's no question this year. You look at the Chiefs game, the Broncos, the Seahawks, the game in Dallas. This is a battle-tested group, our Minnesota Vikings. And even over the Zimmer era, Set 2015, two games in 2017. We have a healthy amount of playoff experience on this roster. So San Francisco, let's see how they react when the stakes ramp up after resting. Let's see what they do when the pressure is on and they're in a tight game. Make them fight for it and our Vikings in these tight games can come out on top. I'm excited for the game. So till next time, y'all, enjoy it and skull bikes.